Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Having poured oil and wine on them, he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who robbers he said the one who showed him mercy Jesus said to him go and do likewise this is the word of the Lord please take a moment for silent reflection As we continue to reflect, we take a time of centering prayer, which is an old aspect of Christian spirituality, in which we let our prayers and our thoughts align with our breath. So on the inhale, inhale slowly.
Gracious God, lead us by your spirit. We thank you for this day you've given us. And we approach this very moment, having had different experiences throughout this week. We look forward to the next week, some with anticipation and eagerness, excitement and joy. Some with fear or anxiety or boredom or loneliness. And the holiday season just makes it all that much more complex. But however we find ourselves right now, believing or unbelieving, somewhere in between, whether we feel like we're holding it together or we're coming undone, you see us in all our complexity, all our contradictions, and your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray now that you'd open our eyes to your grace, our hearts to your love, our minds to your truth, and our lives to your resurrection renewal. Would you teach us by your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed and this world would be renewed. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we consider the scripture we just heard, one of the great ironies, comedic ironies that Jesus is employing through the story is the answer to the question, who's my neighbor? Who should I really look out for? And we're not going to dive too deeply into it today because we have a great treat for you, another great treat for you. But just note that when Jesus is asked that question, the expectation would be the answer is your neighbor is the person who lives in close proximity to you, the person who shares the same ethnicity as you, the person who shares the same religious faith as you, the person who's in your same socioeconomic group, and Jesus blows away all of those categories, as it is the person of a different ethnic group from far away who's the true neighbor who stops because they show mercy. Now, at Renew Church, we talk about a, a lot about following Christ to renew our neighborhood, our city, and our world. And you see and do a lot of the renewal work in our neighborhood and in our city. We are also involved in renewal around the world in many ways. And I have to confess to you, I don't do the greatest job of showcasing it or sharing it. And so today is one of those days, it's a makeup day for Pastor Matt, but it's also a great treat for you because we have our friend, Mama Lily, from Harvesters in South Sudan. Go ahead and come on up, Mama Lily. Let's give her a round of applause. And if I could just say a few words about you, because I love you. Um... I'm not going to steal any of your thunder. It's all, yeah, you will, you will share what you will share. But I will just say, harvesters started in South Sudan as people were leaving the region. Mama Lily and her husband, Dennis, moved into the region. And I got to visit, I got involved as uh, part of the church that I was pastoring in San Francisco when we joined together to help build the hospital, which now I heard has three wings to the hospital and it had two operating rooms when I was there. I don't know how many it has now. It's saving a lot of lives. There are a lot of uh, orphans who Harvesters is caring for now in Ye, South Sudan, Tarakeka, South Sudan, and in Uganda. There's a, a whole political crisis that created four, was it two million refugees and four million refugees since 2013. And I was there in 2013, so that's since I was there. So you're going to hear about all that and it's all mind-blowing. We're friends, we're ministry partners. 
this church, even in our infantile stage, seeks to financially partner with what's happening, even just a drop in the bucket to be a part of it. So just know that as Mama Lily shares her story and the story of Harvesters, it's also your story and the story of Renew. I hope that you are encouraged, I hope you're challenged, and I hope that this is some mutual encouragement and challenge for all of us. So thank you for being here. Thank you, appreciate it. Good morning. Once I start talking, you'll realize where I'm from. <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin, very northeast Wisconsin, <laughs> 50 miles north of Green Bay. Um, but anyways, um, I came from a dysfunctional home, and I'm not going to go into that, but I had some addictions, and in 1980, God radically changed my heart. And uh, my husband and I faithfully served him in our church. Whatever we could do, we were always there and fellowshipping with everyone. <clears throat> but I felt like we really weren't reaching out beyond the four walls. And, and I'm not criticizing any churches, um, you know, for that. But I just began to really pray and ask God, what is the heartbeat of the church? What is it really? And God began to lay orphans, widows, the poor on my heart. And I started praying more than ever. And I believe that God actually ordained my steps. Uh, I went to Florida and I heard a speaker sharing on all of the atrocities that were happening in Sudan at that time. It was one country at that time, Sudan. And it was during a civil war. And I just thought, they shared of things that were happening there. They were putting children, um, throwing them in the Nile alive. They were cutting off women's breasts so they couldn't breastfeed. And it was just horrendous things that the North and the South uh, were fighting over. And I just remember asking God, but I never expected him to answer me the way he did. I said to God, what can I do? I was so burdened, and I'll never forget, God spoke it so loud and clear. And this, and this is for me, and I mean, God isn't going to tell everybody to do this. We each have our own stories, our own callings. But God spoke and said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And I thought, how am I going to go home and tell my husband this? <laughs> so I waited for about a week. And I just was consumed with it, so I sat down and talked to Dennis, and he says, I don't think so, Lil. Um, he said, if there was 12,000 women were there, why were you the only one he spoke to? And I said, well, I don't know, you know. But I know we're, we're one, you know, we're married. And, um, you know, I just kept seeking God and saying, if you're calling me, you're calling him. And eventually he said, there's no getting out of this. <laughs> And he says, you know, if we're going to do it, let's start a not-for-profit. And um, we did that. But before we even did that, I went over with four friends to South Sudan. Dennis gave me his blessings. He had work commitments. And he just wasn't ready to go. And I met um, some government officials there. I mean, there's no infrastructure, no roads, no running water. There was 5,000 soldiers living in the town I went into. And somebody just gave me a name of a missionary that had been there. So that's where I went. And I remember going into the mud brick tuchel with a grass roof, and there was a bunch of soldiers in there, and they take your passport and start recording everything. And he says, what are you doing here? And, they, and the official language in South Sudan is English, even though they do Juba Arabic in their mother tongue. And I, I was so naive. I looked at him and said, well, I just feel God wants me to maybe do an orphanage here or something. And he looked at me, got tears in his eyes, and he said, my sister, go preach the light to my people. So they were very opening and welcoming to us. Um, 
But my husband knew what I was getting into. He served in Vietnam, and he knew, you know, what it was going to be like. And I was so naive. I just went in there and <laughs> lived amongst the soldiers. But anyways, so when I came back, Dennis actually went before me. He tried to get a building up a couple months before I went the second time to try to get a toilet, and it didn't work. <laughs> so I just learned to live in a bush. Now, I was raised in the city. I didn't like camping, so... Uh, it was a big change for me, and I was more afraid of actually critters, bugs. The tuca we lived in when we went there at first was mud, had a grass roof, and then it's all open around, so all the critters get to come in <laughs> to where you're sleeping. But we stayed under a net, and um, but we did sell everything, went over there, and... Um, we were there, I was probably in a country maybe two and a half weeks, and the very first orphan came. We were the first official orphanage that's been in South Sudan, and they brought Caleb. He didn't have a name. He weighed uh, about four pounds. Mother died in childbirth. One out of eight women die in childbirth there today. It's unbelievable. And we took him, the, well, we... The father brought him, father was a drunkard. I mean, there's no, no employment. When we went in there to pay employees, a dollar a day was a big wage. I mean, it was just like such an eye opener for us. And I just said, I can't take this baby. I mean, we're not even, I've only been here two weeks. You know, we haven't even got the orphanage open. And he left, he came back the next day crying, said, can you please take this child? And so I looked at Dennis and he said, Lil, do you know what's gonna happen if you take that child? You know, <laughs> he's gonna become ours. Well, long story short, we ended up taking him. He, we adopted him. He's in the U.S. military right now in Hawaii. <laughs> but um, I cut my shirts up. We had a plastic wash basin and a mosquito net over him, and um, we raised him. Um, you know, he's a wonderful kid. And then more orphans started coming. People heard. And one of the hardest things probably for me, even the emotional pressure and people coming to the gate and I mean a child might have a broken arm there was no medical care and wanting me thinking because I was from America I could just fix this child's arm you know and it was we couldn't we couldn't help everybody and that was one of the biggest challenges of living there so the second orphan came in now they would come the Antonov plane would come from the north and they would bomb in South Sudan, we had a bunker, and in the market they would sell vegetables on a little wooden table like this, and then underneath it they would have a foxhole. So basically they jump under it when the Antonov came and things like that. Well anyway, this couple were bombed in the market, he lost his legs, so he was in a wheelchair, and the wife um, drank herself to death. And the little baby just laid in the little building there for, he was three weeks old, and some man pushed this guy out. We were like almost three miles out on a dirt road, if that's what you want to call it, and had this baby in his hand, called my husband out there first and wanted us to take this baby. And my husband says, well, where's the child? And Dennis called me out there and he said, Lil, you know, don't look unless you're going to take this child. And it was just a rag. And this baby weighed one kilo. So that's 2.2 pounds. We don't have any medical care yet or anything there. It was a, a hospital in town, no running water, no electricity. We ended up taking the baby in, and I took a little syringe and fed him, and he only lasted 24 hours. <clears throat> and I remember saying, God, you know, I felt like you called us to come take care of kids. You know, I'm struggling with feeling guilty and 
terrible, and, and I just felt in my heart, God said, you know what, this baby lay there for three weeks. You gave him human touch. You loved him. You know, you gave him a name, and we gave him a proper burial. So through the years, I mean, and not all stories are like that. We have wonderful stories. But in the beginning, we've lost several orphans because we didn't have the right medical care with meningitis outbreak and different things. Um, so um, God just kept bringing um, so many people to help us, local people, many of our orphans. I'd have like 35 babies at one time. Um, and when I went over there, when God called Dennis and I, I was 47 and my husband was 49. <laughs> and that was how many years ago? We just celebrated our 50th anniversary. So we're not living there long term now. We've raised many of the other orphans um, in our orphanages. And they're running uh, our second campus in Terakeka. We have the couple that were, grew up together. They got married, have children. And now they're running that place up there. And it's so rewarding when I go. I try to go twice a year if I can and see what's happening there. And it's so encouraging to see the fruit you know, of your labor because I mean, it was really hard times because just living out in the bush and, you know, having everything happen that did, it was, it was a real challenge to me. So the orphanage grew, and then we thought, okay, we got to educate these children. So then we built a school, and everything started under the mango tree. So, um, and we, we have a school right now, and it functions um, not only for our orphans, but for the community as well. So they're not just segregated in the orphanage and they integrate with the community. Then we started just a little clinic. Um, I had, I was in a medical field, but it was an occupational therapist assistant. I had horses, I do injections and things like that. So I had to basically learn how to give injections to these kids. Um, malaria is rampant. I had malaria probably 25 times. Typhoid, my husband had a massive heart attack over there. Took us uh, 10 days before we got him here. He's still living, he's had cancer six times, <laughs> and he's still trooping on. I mean, it's amazing. And I guess, it, you know, there wasn't gifts that we had to even do this. We never did this, you know, and, but I've always tried to do what I felt God wanted me to do. I just really did, and people would ask me, weren't you afraid going into that during the war? And, and you know, yeah, there was many times. I remember when I first got in there thinking, oh, I can't do this, you know, and and I said to God, how am I going to live here and, you know, and bring love and hope and peace to these people if I'm afraid of them? So we just grew to love them. They're so generous, and it's the greatest experience that I ever did. And I'll tell you, if you ever think God is asking you to do something, you know, it's just so rewarding. I mean, it's so peaceful. It's the best years. of uh, The 50 years we've been married, we were sat reminiscing. It's the best years we ever lived was when we were in South Sudan with living with the poorest of the poor. So then we do discipleship and we do trauma healing. Our children are raised up. They go to the communities and share the gospel of Christ, worshiping. And we have teams come in and, you know, they'll ask them to come out and, you know, and they'll translate. And it's just amazing to see that, what God has done through the years. So we have three locations, like Pastor mentioned Yater Keka, Uganda. We had peace for all those years. And in 2011, the South and the North literally broke where they were recognized as Republic of South Sudan by the United Nations. And then in 2016, unrest started again. 
we had 20 missionaries over there. We have a big hospital and seeing thousands of people a month and delivering children and saving women so they won't become, their children won't be orphans. And then the tribe started um, fighting and just came into yay and just slaughtered many people. And so everybody evacuated, all the missionaries left. And um, they went, and the children and all that <clears throat> stayed in their orphanage and our local people. And through that time, God just, it's like a hedge of protection there. It really is, and it's, it's God and how he's protected them against all this. And many of them went down to Uganda refugee camp. So when I went to visit, <clears throat> I'm in Uganda, and I'm in a refugee camp, and all of a sudden I hear somebody yelling, Mama Lily! I'm looking, what? And I go over there, and it's kids from our village in Ye, South Sudan, living in Uganda now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they said, oh, can't you do a school here, Mama? Well, I went home, prayed about it, talked to our board. We have a school there now, 500 plus, <laughs> in a refugee camp. And God just brought people in. A businessman came in. Oh, I feel so bad. You're living out in the bush. We got a wireless internet. Franklin Graham showed up. Other people bought us big trucks, everything. And it's like, it was just God, but it was that small step of obedience to what God says. And I always encourage people, if you think God wants you to do something, step out. It's better having some fire than no fire, you know? And um, it's just been a, a wonderful time of serving the Lord and seeing what he's doing. We have 1,500 students that we educate and we feed every day. We, we serve, I think it's 380 million, what is it, million? Thousand. 380,000 meals um, uh, to these children. So it's pretty, again, it's pretty amazing. It was impossible to do in the natural, but it was God. And if he can use me, I'm telling you, from where I came from, he can use anybody. So thank you, um, you know, for allowing me to come and share my heart with all of you. Mama Lily, thank you for that. I, I know you tell the story often, and it's clear. Sometimes like a, a hit uh, rock band will have to play that song every time they go somewhere, because yeah. everyone else, but they do it every day, and they get sick of it. Mm -hmm. I love talking about this with you yesterday over lunch. You, never, mm -hmm. you don't tire of your story because it's your story, and it's always fresh. I also had the opportunity to hear this story from Dennis's point of view when I was in South Sudan in 2013, and he talks about when you came home from that conference and said, I think God's calling us to sell everything we have and give it to the poor and follow mm -hmm. him. And Dennis goes, well, and Dennis has the great Wisconsinian accent, just like Mama Lily. Well, I figured we're gonna go. She wants to go. I can go happy or I can go sad, but we're gonna end up going to Wisconsin, <laughs> end up going to South Sudan. He loves Sudan. me. Yeah. <laughs> He's got to. And, and the other thing that stood out to me when he was sharing was, he says, well, I don't know how to do all the things that Lily knows how to do, but I know how to build. He was a contractor, yeah. right? He goes, so I just started building. I did what I could do. So I built one structure, and then I built another. And as he's telling the story, we were sitting in a compound that at the time had a school with 400 students that he had built, mm -hmm. with housing for 167 orphans that he had built, and with a hospital that he had a hand in building. But it's just started with, I just know how to do this thing, so I'll do the thing. Or Mama Lily knowing, you know, better to have some fire than no fire. So 
I'm grateful that God has given you that fire and that you've shared that with us. So bless you. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate yeah. it. I'd like to invite up uh, Megan Thompson. Megan Thompson told me not to introduce her as the director of development, so I will not. <coughs> um, Megan has become a good friend as well and helps as just part of the heart and soul of the organization. As you know, anything that's this big of an endeavor takes the prayers and the funding and the elbow grease and the bravery and the courage of many, 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 many people. And one of the things that Megan does is to help wrangle all of that effort into one direction. So um, Megan's going to lead us in our time of offertory. You're like, oh my gosh, good. Matt does it every week. Someone else. Awesome. But before she does, I'm going to do something we talked about. It's kind of dangerous, but I think it should be done. It's dangerous because it could be showy. I don't want this to be showy. Um, what I want to do is give this church's support to harvesters in the form of a check for several thousand dollars. Um, it's d I told you it's dangerous. This is not, it's your money. It's, the, it's God's money that we have all put together here. Okay, so this is our church. We're partnering with Harvesters, so we wanted to do it together as part of the partnership. You're not allowed to. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> there it is. And, of course, with that comes prayers, and then with that comes friendship and fellowship. And I've already spoken to some of the medical professionals in our congregation and friends in San Francisco. And who knows if we can form up a trip to come and be a part of pretty soon. I hope so. So good things uh, are going to continue here. And I'll uh, turn after I've, I've got you with tears in your eyes. I'll yeah, turn it over yeah. to you. Yeah. That's bad. Mama <laughs> Lily knows it's bad. If there's tears in my eyes, it's it keeps going. It gets worse. No, but um, I want to speak just to you as a church how um, unique you are because it tends to be, like you said, in an infantile stage, you have to focus inward. How do we start a church? What do we do? And one of the first things you did was you turn outward to your community and to the nations. And so uh, you, you should keep coming here and you should bring friends because God is doing great things, um, for sure. One of the things I love about giving is that it's an invitation from God that we get to participate in. It acknowledges that he owns everything, uh, but that he is allowing us to participate in ministry through our gifts, not just our financial resources, but our time and our talent. And so keep putting that here into his local church. That is um, how he is using it. It's reflecting who he is as God, um, it tells us or it puts us in a position and a posture of open hands and an open heart and says, Lord, use what we have and multiply it. And so um, this, thank you so much for coming alongside us to reach orphans and widows halfway across the globe, um, but also for coming alongside your church and making a difference in this community and renewing it. And so I love that the name of your church is The Mission right in the front, but let's, let's pray the offering prayer together. Here we go with me. On page 11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours, and you rule over all. Therefore, Lord, receive these offerings, our tangible expressions of love and gratitude. Transform them into a source of life for many, so that your kingdom may grow in the hearts of all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <laughs> 